ポッドキャスタイム。今、次の放送はファンによるファンのためのファンホズポッドキャルチャポッドキャストです。この番組はフランドスファンダーエリックの財布の敵を日程送ります。Hey guys, welcome back to another Sentai-rific episode of Sentai Saturdays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight are two, count them, two of my fellow Super Sentai enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, this is Justin. Hey guys, this is Tony, and Starfish on my butt. Alright, so we are here tonight as part of a month-long theme here on Fanhole's podcast. We're doing what we're calling Blue Cupcakes Month! And without getting into a long-winded explanation of what Blue Cupcakes is, it's basically weirdness for the sake of being weird. And this is a month-long project where all the episodes have the theme of Blue Cupcakes Month, so we just tried to pick weird, strange, weird-for-the-sake-of-being-weird type episodes. And if you want to know more about Blue Cupcakes, it is in our the, the whole origin of the terminology in our lexicon is in, I believe it's episode 14 of the Fan Holes podcast, so you can go back there and check that out if you want to know the nitty-gritty details on that. But tonight we are discussing two different, kind of strange, kind of freaky-deaky, kind of blue cupcake-y episodes of Super Sentai. And this is Sentai Saturday, so it's appropriate that we're looking at two different Super Sentai series. And the first Super Sentai series that we're going to look at, I've got a pretty strong familiarity with. This is called Battle Fever J. And Battle Fever J, strictly speaking, is one of the first Super Sentai series that actually had the designation Super because it involves a giant robot that fights the bad guys. And that's how you put the Super into Super Sentai. It's got a pretty long and varied history, but basically the the simple version is that Toei had licensed certain Marvel properties, among them Spider-Man and Captain America, and Battle Fever J is kind of the result of them licensing Captain America, but what it turned out was that they made a five-man Super Sentai team based on the nations of different countries. So you have Battle Japan, Battle France, Battle Kenya, Battle Cossack, and Miss America. And so those are supposed to represent you know, various regions of the world and be this kind of multicultural, multinational type themed team, but also very sort of patriotic, kind of like Captain America, very nationalistic, like, like Captain America is. And... The episode we're going to be discussing tonight is episode 30, 
which is titled The Cook of Strange Foods. Or, as sometimes, like on Kakaida, they have like these various titles, The Villainous Nomnivorous Head Chef is the other title. And this had the air date of August 25th, 1979. And we'll just go into a, a brief synopsis on the episode. Egos creates a monster based on a starfish that will only desire the first thing that he ever eats. So Egos's cutmen steal Shiro's clothes and feed them to the starfish monster. After the monster ravenously devours them, he is primed to eat Battle Kenya. Meanwhile, Keiko is concerned that although it's summer, her brother, Masaru, is always indoors playing video games. So, Shiro, Akabono, and the girls drag him to the water park, where Shiro tries to teach him to swim. While at the water park, the starfish monster tries to eat Shiro twice, the first time putting yaki nuku sauce on him, and the second time in the pool as a starfish. Seeing the starfish, Kiyosuke tosses it onto the highway, where it's run over and shredded to pieces. However, as a starfish, the pieces have the power to reform into the monster. As his attempts to eat Shiro on the outside have failed, Salome comes up with a plan for him to eat Shiro from the inside. While they're out camping in the woods, Salome tricks Masaru into giving Shiro the starfish to eat. After Shiro enthusiastically devours the rare delicacy, it reforms inside his stomach and begins to eat him from within. In order to get the starfish monster out of Shiro's stomach, the others have no choice but to pour poison in his stomach and hope that his wilderness training and conditioning can outlast the poison as it expels the starfish monster. This pops out the starfish, and then the Battle Fever team gives Shiro the antidote. Kenya and Starfish Monster, then do the running face-off Japanese style, and then, true to formula, the small Starfish Monster is destroyed with Battle Fever J Team's Pentaforce, and the Battle Shark is called when the quote-unquote little brother, the Starfish Robot, seeks revenge. Battle Fever Robo encounters a Starfish on the Face attack! but eventually defeats his opponent with Chain Crushers, the Battle Axe, and the ultimate finisher, Electric Sword Bamboo Cutting Style. And that, in a nutshell, is what happens in Battle Fever J Episode 30. And of course, since I did a history of comics on film on the series, I have plenty of notes that I've never used before, but are written up here. So I figure I could throw those in, you know, when we when we talk about the episode. But I'm kind of curious. I want to open it up to you guys first and just see what your initial reactions to Battle Fever J were. Is this you know, I guess the first time you guys have ever seen this show? Like, is this the first time you've ever seen Battle Fever J, Tony? Yeah, and as far as, like, a full episode, yeah, I've seen, like, clips and stuff, like, your history of Comic-Con film episode and stuff. As far as, like, a, a whole episode, this was, indeed, my first exposure. It, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, it was definitely blue cupcake Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it was, it, that was sort of the, obviously, the caveat of these shows that we're going to pick episodes that are kind of weird kind of freaky and stuff so i mean you know maybe it's not necessarily the best representation of an introductory episode to battle fever j but it's certainly 
it, it's certainly kind of off kilter and everything. I mean, I, I know the parts that freak me the most out are, you know, based on the, the monsters, you know, like, they, I mean, e Egos was always a little weird, like, it, it's weird seeing the origins, sort of, of how, essentially, like, Power Ranger villainy started, you know, like, how it was kind of, I, I mean, I, I talk about yeah. this a little in the, the History of Comics on video, but just the idea that Satan Egos is, like, the father and all these monsters are his children, you know? Like, I mean, that's that's sort of a weird concept to me, even though, like, you're kind of like, oh, well, I guess that, that kind of makes sense, you know? Like, and, and it's like, so when, when they, you know, and essentially this thing in the beginning is always featured in most of the episodes, this sort of Egos' birthing matrix, this, this giant, weird kind of Geiger-ish looking thing that poops out fucking monsters every episode, basically, and and one of them is this starfish monster, which, you know, obviously looks like a starfish and has this kind of, like, almost yellow bird-beak jaw that it uses to eat with, and, you know, just, just the whole notion that, like, the first thing it eats is what it wants to eat for the rest of its life span, and that it wants to eat Chiro Akibono, you know, it's just like, it's it's kind of weird, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. I, I think one of the big elephants in the room, I, I will address it, is the first time he tries to eat him, a little bit of sexual undertones that I'm sure were not intended. Yeah, like, well, I mean, he, he's kind of longingly looking at, at the body of, of, of Battle Kenya, and, and of course, since he's at the swimming park, the water park, he's just, you know, in his swimming trunks. So, I mean, which which you would be, but it, it's 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 kind of an odd pan. And then and then the way he's like rubbing the, it's, cause it's like it's 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 funny in general because like the first time the first time you see this guy eat, he he eats like some clothes, but then they give him like the boots. And like I, I remember the first thing I was kind of laughing my ass off about was like, wait a minute. So he's like he's like, wait, give me the mayonnaise you know and it's like he's pouring like mayonnaise all over this fucking boot before he eats it and shit and it's like that's that's kind of hilarious and then when when you know they're they're in the cabana or whatever you know you're just like come on man this is this is kind of weird you know like, yeah, maybe some a little bit of pepper that'll be better <laughs> yeah like i said he's like rubbing like this uh zanzi or whatever some, some kind of japanese condiment over his chest and stuff and it, it, again it's not supposed to be like anything you know sensual or anything like that but it is like he's rubbing suntan oil on him and stuff and he's like you know yeah 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 when when he gets chased away it's like battle france comes in and it's like what's all this yucky nicky sauce like you put that on instead of suntan lotion like are you a weirdo like because they, they they his teammates kind of do think he's kind of a a backyard bumpkin, I guess, because of because of you know where he hails from, I guess you know. But I, I guess I'll I'll ask Justin the same thing though. Is this uh, is this the first time you've seen Battle Fever J? Like, or or is this you know something that that you've seen before in the past? No, I've been watching the subs of the these uh, episodes off and on for the past few years. Like, I think where I left off was episode twenty six. It's just a few episodes after, like, Diane, you know, passes the mantle of uh, Miss America on to the, uh, the other character who takes over. So this wasn't a big leap ahead for me, but, you know, like, this, this is definitely, like, a weird episode. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm definitely no stranger to, like, Super Sentai at all, so, like, this was 
so definitely weird and it was, it was really funny too like uh, you know i think i think we mentioned this on another uh, podcast where we were talking about king but like he's like he has a real like talent for like playing scenes like very humorously especially like when he's like when he's like freaking out and jumping back uh, because the monster's trying to eat him or or even when he's just like he's just sleeping and he's rolling over and you know like the, the monster like pulling off the stuff and like that was like back in the minute too yeah i mean the the kenji oba's usually like one of the standout actors and i mean he he definitely is the the focus of this episode as well because he's the one that's basically being targeted by egos and and the starfish monster and everything you know looking at it kind of kind of seriously you know like he's he's the, the the lead team member and everything and then you know to, to be honest the only other person that's really focused on at all is like you said the newer team member you know Diane Martin has just been replaced by Maria Nagisa. So, like, she's in the episode. And then it, it kind of focuses on, like, because it's it, it's like Keiko. And it, it's basically, like, all the, the Battle Fever J operators. And again, yep. I think I think we were... It's funny. Like, we were discussing something earlier tonight. But it, it, it's kind of the same thing. Like, th- this is sort of an excuse they're not quite taking them to an island getaway, but they are all at a water park. So it's a it's a nice excuse for any of the the female cast members, you know, whether they're the the Battle Fever J team operators or Miss America, to come on and and wear yeah wear a bathing suit, you know, and and so you get to see like you know all the the, the cute chicks in in bathing suits while the it's under the sort of pretense of oh, we're going to a water park and it's during the summer and we want to teach this little boy how to swim <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i was about to say this weird japanese notion of this is how you teach a kid to swim by like you know holding their head underwater and freaking them the fuck out you know like that kind of thing See, that's that's why i never learned to swim because like when people would try to like teach me like, that's the way they would try and teach me, though. Like, they would just, like, throw me in the deep end and be like, all right, swim, like, sink or swim. And that's, like, I, I'm kind of afraid of, like, deep water. Like, if I can't see the bottom, like, I kind of, like, you know, start to freak out. So, like, I think that's, like, I kind of, like, empathize with that kid because I'm just like, okay, so that, like, you know, that happens to other kids. And, like, it, like, you know, it, it starts, it's kind of, like, scarred me, but, like, he... You know, like, I guess he is, like, you know, you know, we've talked about this before, where, like, a lot of those show a series, they talk about, like, you know, don't cry, be a man. Well, I guess, like, I guess, like, he's a man because he learned to swim, and I never did. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I think it's it's one of those things, though, that, like, they, they sort of don't really address, like, because it seems like one minute he's drowning, and the next minute it's like he spits out the water, and it's like, see, you're awesome, you can do it now, you know, and it's just like, okay. Like, I, I, I don't know that I really buy that. It's like, he's, he's like, you know, sp- splashing about, but did you actually, like, teach him how to swim? Like, not really, you know? Like, like I don't know. He's not dying. <laughs> you know, for, for the sake of the story, we'll say that they, they taught him how to swim, because I guess that's supposed to be the theme of, of the, the episode or whatever. But, yeah, there, there, there's that weird aspect. I mean, I, I, I got to ask you guys. I mean, I, I know Tony already brought it up. There is that weird kind of sexual overtone to it when he's like the but but also just the the notion that the starfish monster is is like salivating over this guy whether it's sexual or just straight up like he wants to eat the guy's feet and 
you know, the whole thing. And it, it is kind of like a strange thing. Like, like it, I, I don't know. I don't think I... Did, were you kind of set up for this? Because I already talked about it on History of Comics on film, or did it still kind of strike you as like, what the fuck is this? No, like, I, I still thought it, like, it was pretty bizarre. Yeah. I mean, especially the part where he's like trying to grill him with the fucking lighter. Like, I mean, <laughs> it just kind of cracks me up. Because it's like, it's like, dude, like, one, it's like, what you don't seriously expect to grill a human being with a lighter, do you? And then, and then two, it's like, you're going to grill a human being with a lighter? <laughs> what? What is going on? It's like, and he, he, the monster itself, I know this is funny to say, but like the monster plays all these things so straight. It's like, man, I'm ravenous. Like, pass me that mayonnaise to stick on this boot. But he's like so fucking serious about it, you know, that he's like chomping away on all this stuff and, 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 and the whole notion that he's going to, you know, eat him and grill him with a lighter and everything like that, like, kind of cracks me up. I mean, that I, I'd say that's the main focus of what I thought was was the strangest thing about this episode. There was definitely some funny stuff at the very beginning, like at the at the ego space, like when they when they bring in Kenya's clothing, like after they've been stolen, like Hedda smells them and he makes like this really great like pu face. And then it, it, it seems like all the other, like, Egos guys, like, they're, it's like they're disgusted by Kenya's clothes, too, but they're also disgusted by Starfish Monster. Like, I, that, that kind of, like, it was really subtle, but that was cracking me up, too. Yeah, the guy, the, the, the guy who plays Hedda, you know, like, he's always pretty good. Like, he always seems to have these, these one-off, like, ho-ho! Like, he, he does all these kind of, like, cool little asides and stuff like that and the fact that like like that's the part of the thing that i thought was always interesting it's like it's like it's supposed to be this sort of semi-progressive multinational thing like oh look we're nationalistic for all these countries not just the american flag or whatever like captain america would be but it kind of cracks me up that like france and and you know diane martin and whoever would always look down on Shiro Akibono, and it's because he, he kind of, he stinks. Like, he's not, like, <laughs> uh, he's not the most cleanliness of people. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he, he oh, basically, okay. yeah, I mean, he, yeah, essentially he is Tarzan. I mean, he kind of runs around in a loincloth and, and, and does these kind of Khazar-ish type things in his civilian identity. He can sort of speak with animals, you know, like he's kind of like Dr. Doolittle in that way, too, you know, and, and he can sort of communicate with, with various animals animals in that sense i mean but but it's kind of weird that that in in this case like he's basically being looked to as sort of the uh i guess the adult male role model you know for masaru and it's like if anybody can teach masaru how to swim and stop just paying attention to video games it's going to be shiro you know and 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 that's kind of what they go with in the episode and everything i i did think it was kind of funny like the way they i you know i don't know if it's how it's translated because these are from like hawaiian subtitles from like the 70s and stuff but i I thought it was funny that maria nagisa has a line at some point where she's like i guess it is better to let a man teach him how to swim you know like that kind of thing like like basically you you could have these three women in in cute bathing suits try all day long to Teach Masaru how to swim, and, and the other girl and, was like, "I want him to teach me how to swim." I'm like, mm, "Yeah, I bet you do." Well, yeah, yeah. well, like I still don't know how to swim, and I, I would much rather Miss America like try to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we all wouldn't mind a, a swimming lesson from Miss America. I, I did think it was kind of funny when um the the, the egos are uh because because like you said, the starfish monster tries a couple times to eat him and he, he fails. 
And he even says, like, you know, he doesn't like how he tastes. He's like, he's like, his skin doesn't taste good or anything or something like that. Even the, the guy, what was the, was that the, you say, what's his name? Slasher? What's his name? Header? Header, Header. Yeah, he's like, you know, yeah, I guess Battle Kid, you probably wouldn't taste good. I'm like, damn, even he's ragging on him. <laughs> I, I did think it was kind of funny that also, this is Blue Cupcake, Blue Cupcake, but it's also just kind of funny. It's like a funny episode. I also thought it was really funny that the starfish, like, when he, uh, he's trying to fight him and stuff, it's like Looney Tunes. He gets run over by a car. Yeah. yeah. He gets eaten, you know? <laughs> well, they, they think they think when he gets run over by that car, like, Salome and Header are like, oh, oh well, and they toss him in the trash can. Yeah. This is, I guess it's <laughs> on to the next monster, because yeah. he, he's dead, and then, then it turns out like he's not, you know? And, like, that was kind of funny. I mean, you know, and, and just the aspect of the there's a starfish in, a, like, a chlorine pool. And then, like, the, the funny part to me was I think it's, like, I forget. I think it's like Maria picks it up and then she tosses it on like Keiko's breast or whatever. And Keiko like freaks the fuck out. Like, get this thing off me. It's moving. You know, and eventually like France comes in and like it kind of cracks me up because I was thinking like, oh, dude, what if the like, you know, ASPCA was around? Like, could you imagine finding a starfish in a pool and just being like, fuck this starfish. And they just toss it out to the middle of the road to get run over. Like these days, everybody would be like, oh, that's a lawsuit. Like, you're, you're a cruel to animals and shit and it's like nope uh, get this the fuck out of the pool you know like we don't care you know it's like so that that just in and of itself that kind of attitude kind of cracked me up because it's just like this kind of pure and honest thing like ew this is on me and it's moving creepy like get it the Go fuck off you know yeah and 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 like i i guess for me like i do i do have some notes that that i thought were weird in context of watching all these episodes together because Masaru is is like all these characters they they're frequent supporting characters on the series and like when Salome was first introduced like he was the one who kind of figured her shit out when she first showed up so like I thought it was kind of weird that he wouldn't recognize her when she sort of gives him the starfish to give to Shiro you know what I mean like like I was like well wait dude, like, you totally, like, foiled her plans, like, a couple episodes earlier, but, like, now all of a sudden you don't recognize her? Like, I'm like, isn't that a little convenient? And she, she was acting really suspicious, too. It was like, that guy's an asshole. Here, you want to get back at him? It's like, really? Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the no prizes he did recognize, but he just didn't give a shit. He's like, I'm going to feed him the fucking deadly starfish. <laughs> I, I don't like you, but I hate she real more right now. <laughs> Yeah, you see, you yeah. around me. <laughs> Obviously, you've seen all this since you have more knowledge of it. it is Saru like it's is he supposed to be kind of a because it seems like they were kind of playing him as a brat at some point in this episode? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's aspects of it. I mean, in the beginning, like how he's just kind of focused on playing space invaders and not too into it. I mean, he's got you know like all all kids in in Japanese series, he probably has his ups and downs. I mean, you know, like but he. In, in in this case, I mean, there, there's probably, like, Justin's saying, there's aspects where you feel sorry for him, and then there's also aspects where he does get a little sort of entitled and self-centered, as, as any little kid might, you know, like, so, because they don't, you know, at that point, he doesn't have the decorum to kind of be like, oh, hey, you know, maybe I'm being a fucking butthead, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, and I think, I think that holds true, too. Yeah. 
his character in the in the series as a whole. He's not he's not a hundred percent altruistic all the time, but you know he 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 serves his purpose. You know he's he's there to you know help out on you know occasionally he contributes to wins for the team, and occasionally he feeds Battle Kenya fucking poison starfish. So. <laughs> I mean, I remember the time Justin fed me a poison starfish. It happens, you know. <laughs> it can happen. It can definitely happen. Can I bring up the other elephant in the room? Yeah. It is a weird, it, weird ending. Masaru, of course, you know, he, he does have that moment of, like, you know, you know, Shiro, don't die. You know, he doesn't want him to die because he's a starfish. And he, like, you know. When Masaru, like, humps up the tree or whatever at the end. That moment. Yeah, yeah. At the end, it's like, he's like, like Masaru's like, you know, I want to be a real man, you know, live off the land and stuff. And the first thing Shiro is, does is like say, "Take off your shirt. Let's go climb some trees." <laughs> well, I think I think it's meant to be a Tarzan thing, but yeah, there's that weird notion of all, all I can think of is, "Man, your feet are gonna hurt after walking around on all those outside bare grounds for a while." Especially if you're not manned up and have a bunch of conditioning on your feet, you know. So. I will say, not being accustomed to Jen, I did find myself really liking the Mecha or the Zord or whatever you want to call it. He looks a lot different. Like, he doesn't have the kind of blank metallic face we're used to. He had kind of a statuey face. You know, he looks all grimacy and stuff. And he looks a lot like a samurai and stuff. I, I thought that was, like, kind of a cool look. Yeah. Yeah, Battle Fever Robo's pretty cool. I know, Justin, you've got the, the soul of Chokogen for that, right? Yeah, the last, a really great toy. And, like, I, I really like that uh, the design for that suit. It's definitely... Like Tony said, it's, it's not where you're used to because now it's like, you know, like Tony said, you get like a, a robot with maybe like a bland, like just expressionless face. But this Battle Fever Robo is very much like, you know, kind of like samurai inspired. And it has like a ton of weapons. Like it's, and it's, a, it's like one of my favorite like Sentai Robos too. Yeah, I think it's a pretty cool robo. I, I, I think there, there are those aspects to it where it kind of combines elements of the super robot genre that was popular in Japan at the time. But I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to neglect or, you know, I, I, I never hesitate to mention, I think it is kind of superhero influenced in a way too. You know, you've got the Battle Fever or BF or whatever, you know, like a logo, you know, on on his, his chest plate and everything like that. So there, there are aspects to it where you're like, oh, hey, you know, he's got a shield, like Captain America has a shield, you know, like things like that, where I'm, I'm kind of, I, I see parallels to different parts of his origin, like the samurai aspect is clearly there, but it's kind of amalgamated with, with the property they were trying to license at the time, too. Yeah, like battle axes and stuff like that, that's like not too samurai, but... Yeah, he does look samurai, but yeah, yeah, he's just he's just kind of cool looking. I just I just want to mention that because you know this is Sentai, and we do have to have our giant robot fight and everything. So yeah, yeah, and and I mean you know at the risk of repeating myself, I mean the ship where it looks a lot like the white base and everything, you know, and and that battle robo exits out of and everything. So I mean it's it's. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I think all that stuff is kind of neat. I mean, there's lots of old vintage-type toys where, like, those sets that have all the old-school versions of those that came out in the 70s go for, like, tons and tons of yen on all those different, like, you know, like Mandarake and sites like that. 
that seemed kind of like a trope for like Sentai, like from the 70s, like to the end of the 80s, like because you, you know, you you would have like your big robot, but what would happen before that is like most of the series, you would have this huge ship that would come out from the base, and that ship would launch the robot, or it would it would launch the different vehicles which would combine into the robot. But that that seems to be something that they've kind of they've kind of like done away with the the ship that launches the the mecha. Now it's like if you want to do something ultimate, it's like oh our like super secret base is actually like a giant ultra zord or something like in, in Decker Ranger. Part of it is like, they sort of graduated from a super robot to like transforming super robots or combining mm. transforming super robots. It's like that's how that elevated. I mean I'm kind of curious like what your guys' take. I mean I don't know how obvious it was in this episode but like I, I, I remember watching this for the first time and it kind of blew my mind that like some of the tropes of Power Rangers and Super Sentai finally started to click and make sense to me. Like the whole notion of there's a there's a monster they fight as Sentai team members, and then they blow up the monster, and then for some reason it grows bigger, even though they have already blown it up, you know, and then fight it with a big robot. And what I what I liked about this is it's like well that first person they fight and destroy they've destroyed it. The starfish monster is destroyed after the pentaforce hits it, but the starfish robot is that initial monster's quote-unquote little brother. It's supposed to be ironic, like, it's like the little brother that's the size of a giant, you know, and like... 20-story tall, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and and, and like, that that kind of went, and it kind of clicked for me, I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, like, that's why you know, that's how the trope started, you know, but it's like, you know, then somewhere along the way, you know, basically like Sun Vulcan and all these other things, it's like, oh, then the monster grows and gets destroyed and, you know, it, they're they're not brothers, it's just the same monster somehow, you know, and it's like, I, I always yeah. thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and you even have like, you know, I know they've done this before in other shows, but it was, it was like you're saying, they kind of have this cabal, you know, they have, you know, Header and, uh, What's the girl's name again, uh, Darren? Salome. Yeah, Salome. And then you've got, like, you know, the big bad who, unless he changes further on in the show, he's just kind of like a weird geometric, like, block <laughs> that gives orders. Yeah, it's, it's like he's a little, like, like black-garbed Ku Klux Klan guy in, like, sitting Indian style. Just kind of that way I always thought of him as. Like, it's it's kind of sucks, because that's, that's one of the disappointing parts about this show. Like, spoilers. But Lord Satan, Egos... Like, I don't know if they ran out of money or what, but he just is that thing for, like, the rest of the series. And then, like, when he finally fights Battle Fever Robo, that little Indian-style seated dude, he just grows bigger. You know, and I'm just like, what? (laughs) Like, he doesn't even turn into, like, a dude or anything? I'm like, I don't know. So, yeah, but, but... That I mean, that in and of itself was was a little kind of like a letdown after you stuck with the series the whole the whole run. Yeah, you used to see like the upgrades and like you know like you know you know King Mondo getting bigger and all that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're used to like you know big big payoffs, but yeah, I can see how that'd be like kind of kind of a kick in the nuts. Like, doesn't ruin the show, but you're just like, really, that's 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 your bad guy. I I think I would just say again, I, I know we've sort of mentioned this on other shows, but th- this kind of series, Battle Fever J, I think is a fine series. It's just not meant to be 
marathon watched or binge watched you know it's sort of meant to be you know you you take each episode one at a time and maybe watch it from week to week or day to day or something and and kind of take each on its own merits but i think if you if you try to you know watch a bunch of these back to back you know the the formula will sort of seep through and and hit you over the head and everything that's kind of funny because that's exactly how power rangers is it's like Super Sentai, you can kind of marathon certain certain series because uh, as as they've they've grown over the years, they do have some that have a continuing plot line. But like apart from like the Green Ranger saga and stuff like that, man, sometimes you have to chug through some Power Rangers if you're trying to marathon it because it's just like every episode the kids meet it, whatever his name is, PDs or whatever <laughs> the, the, the fucking the, the juice bar. They talk about stuff. Goldar and Rita make a plan. They send down a monster. He does something to one of the rangers. They fight putties. They get their ass kicked. Whoever is affected learns a lesson, and then they turn into Power Rangers, kick that guy's ass, blows up, turns big, uh, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you sort of feel like with, with a few weapons variations, you know, whether it's the bamboo sword or the chain crushers or the battle axe or whatever, like... Most of the final battles in Battle Fever J are kind of similar to what you saw here. You know, like he, he t- you know, maybe a little more extended. You know, like he, he rockets from the ship, he lands, they, they all fly through his belly button, or sometimes <laughs> Battle Japan, or sometimes it's just Miss America, or the both of them, and the other guys are on the ground fighting a monster. Like, like sometimes that would be the divergence in formula. Like sometimes they wouldn't have destroyed the small monster before the big monster showed up so they would have to pair off you know and and one guy would fight the big monster and then a set of them would fight the small monster yeah that that kind that kind of happened here not really though because like the like the the version i saw i don't know if it was cut weird but i think it's the same version you guys saw but like the big monster does show up first and the starfish monster is like yeah go get him you know little brother and that's all he does. And then he, he like, you know, he gets cut down by the other guys. They're like, oh, there's a big guy now. Pentaforce, bye. <laughs> and then they go fight the Yeah, big guy. yeah. I mean, that's, that's essentially how it normally goes. Yeah, they usually take out the, the, the real little guy with the Pentaforce and then have to go after the big robot and everything. But, yeah, that's... That, that's kind of how the cookie crumbles on on these kind of shows and stuff. I mean, I I, I have sort of a soft spot for it because I covered it and everything on History of Comics on Film. But it, I guess in general, like as a as a Super Sentai series, I think it's it's interesting from a historical perspective. But there are aspects of the formula that can get tedious after a while. Yeah, but but like you said, only if you like binge watch it. If you like take it like a week by week show, it, it's still entertaining. That like it, it'll hold your interest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I mean, I, I think this in and of itself was a, a fun thing to look at and a good suggestion, you know, to, to as far as something that, that is kind of strange, but also maybe might introduce people, whether they're listening or somebody like yourself, Tony, who's never really sat down and watched an episode. It's like, oh, this isn't this isn't so bad an episode, you know, so it's it, it kind of gives you a, a, an idea of, of what the show's like and everything. Yeah, yeah, and, and the characters are fun. I mean, you know, like, as, as much as we were saying that, like, people were picking on Shiro for being, you know, a dirty, you know, Tarzan guy, he was fine in this episode. I mean, he, he, he he's a manly man. That's just who he is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he usually, like, part of that, you know, is... is 
his willingness to basically eat anything, you know, like in that that's in some ways that's kind of looked down upon by some of the fellow team members. But I guess when you're when you're watching it, maybe when whether you're a kid or even an adult, you're like, hey, man, that's pretty awesome. He can he can survive off the land and eat roots and berries and all this other stuff where Masaru is kind of like this little spoiled shit where he's kind of like, I ain't eating that crap, you know, like so, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of get it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was definitely fun. Like, Justin, since you're, like, definitely middle of the road, you've seen a lot more than I have. You haven't gotten to this episode yet. Was it Was it just, you know, more of what you expected, or was his blue cupcake enough for you? It, it, it was pretty weird. Like I said, I, I'm no stranger to, like, Sentai, and, like, there, there have definitely been, like, some episodes where I'm just like, whoa, like, what? what did i watch like did the up did like you know someone put like some acid in my pop or like you know what's going on but like i i enjoyed it you know kind of like derek said it's it's interesting to go back and watch the early the early series like i, I remember being especially interested in go ranger and jack because there is no super robot or anything and i was always kind of like well how does that work like did like how you know how did they fight the bad guys you know, like what kind of like they, they, it works like they play hacky sack with a yeah. fucking ball and blow yeah. up that dude with a soccer ball. Yeah, like <laughs> that's I, how I, it works. I, I've seen episodes of those series, and like I, 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 I would like to watch more. I don't. I think like about half of Go Ranger is subbed. I'm not sure about Jack, but like, you know, kind of like Derek said, it's interesting to see like the progression of like what what we know over here as Power Rangers. I really like a lot of those early shows. Like I, I, you know, like I said, I've seen like the first like 26 episodes of Battle Fever, and I, I enjoy it. And I've seen all of uh, the next series, Sun Vulcan. Like I really like Sun Vulcan, but like it's really interesting to see like how how different things come about. Like how you know how they like come up with different ideas to make the monster grow. Like sometimes it's just a robot that grows, or you know sometimes it's like an alien that like revives the monster and then it grows, or you know, it's like a magic wand or something, and then it's also interesting to see them use like different mechs because for like for the for a lot of the early shows, there's only one mech, and it might have some different weapons or a different attack every now and then, but it's one mech. What we're used to is like multiple mechs or multiple Zords. Well, I, that didn't happen until like you know sometime in the mid to like eighties, they started like introducing like. You know other mechs and then they were like oh like well kids are buying these like we gotta like introduce more mechs and more and more because they're gonna like sell yeah like the they have like two robots joining a bigger robot yeah but I, I i guess like in the final analysis like you know a good pick derek like this this was definitely blue cupcakey for me yeah yeah no i mean i yeah the, definitely I, I think the parts that we highlighted were were the parts where you're sitting there going this is this is a little strange this is a little weird so uh yeah i mean uh, again we hope you've you've kind of had your interest peaked into battle fever j that if you've never sat down and watched any episodes you, you'd kind of want to check it out but also kind of get the notion that this one particular episode is is a little bit more off kilter than your standard episode of of battle fever j essentially i uh, I, I did i did want to say one thing though before we quit yeah, yeah. i forgot to mention this during the regular thing i think derek would appreciate this also the soundtrack is awesome there's lots of <laughs> like get during the music and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The soundtrack is pretty cool. It's got a lot of those seventies kind of yeah. twangy, jazzy, you know, wild wah type. Yeah, early sense background yeah. music. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's definitely pretty cool. But yeah, I think I think what we'll do is we'll take a quick break here, and then when we come back, 
we will be discussing Justin's suggestion for Blue Cupcakes Month on Sendai Saturdays, so stay tuned. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. Monthly at mystarwarsstory.com. All right, guys, we are back to discuss Justin's suggestion for Sentai Saturday's Blue Cupcakes Month. And what Justin suggested we all sit down and watch was an episode of Jetto, Jetto, Jetto Man. <laughs> so we, we watched an episode of Jetman, and this was episode 46, The Great Demon King of the Tomato Field, or... The Tomato Field's Great Demon King, whichever you want. And it originally aired January 10th, 1992. And I do have a brief synopsis on the episode, and then we can talk nitty-gritty, kind of what we thought about it and everything. Aiko flees from Reita in embarrassment for attempting to feed her his homegrown tomatoes in public. Once on his own... Reita gets zapped, and everywhere Reita turns, he sees people with tomatoes for heads. It turns out Emperor Tranza has created a monster from Reita's childhood terror, the Great Tomato King. While the Viram villains, Maria and the robot Grey, wonder where Regette is, we see the back-dimensional Count has powered down to his human form. He wanders the city suffering spasms of power which disrupt electrical systems all around him. With the Grinnum soldiers, the putties of the Virum, on the attack, the entire Jetman team faces off against them. Even during the battle, Reita continues to see the Grinnum soldiers with tomatoes for heads. Reita flees when the Great Tomato King joins the fray. When he attempts to take an elevator, hundreds of tomatoes flood the enclosed space with the Great Tomato King hanging overhead. In reality, the Great Tomato King is a first-dimensional creature called Metamor that controls the imagination of humans and appears as their greatest fear. Eiko and Reita go to see his grandmother, who shows them drawings Reita made when he was a child. Meanwhile, the king's power has grown, and he is actually turning people's heads into tomatoes. Even though the Jetman attack him with the Smash Bomber, it has little to no effect on the Great Tomato King. The king grows to gigantic proportions, and Red Hawk calls on the mecha Jet Garuda to fend him off. Aiko then helps Reita conquer his fear of the king by encouraging him to eat the tomatoes from his vegetable garden. Tomato King is trouncing Jet Garuda like he's in the WWF ring when Reito takes a bite out of the tomato, <laughs> causing the monster great pain. 
As Rita devours more and more tomatoes from his garden, the king's giant head is devoured in tandem, and the jet Garuda can eventually turn the tables. One Garuda jump, and Garuda claw later, the great tomato king is destroyed. After Rita's tomato feast, his fellow jetmen come and happily eat tomatoes with him. And that is the blue cupcake episode that reminds me of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Jetman <laughs> episode 46. So this was my, well, I guess what I did was, because I like to start things from the beginning, I did watch the first two episodes of Jetman just to kind of get get the idea of, of what the entire team was about before I went into a single episode. But then this was essentially my first time you know, trying out Jetman, trying to watch Jetman and everything. And while I'll agree that everybody's heads turning into tomatoes, whether it's like newscasters or or like food vendors on the street or whatever, like is pretty pretty <laughs> blue cupcakey, pretty weird. Like I I really enjoyed what I've seen of Jetman, and and I enjoyed it enough that like I I think I. I, I'm up to like episode 14 or so. I mean, I think it's a fun show. I think it's a really, really solid, good Super Sentai show. So I, I'm glad that Justin mentioned it and it kind of, kind of turned me on to it because I, I think it's a lot of fun. And then I think, I think my final thing I'll say before I turn it over to you guys is the Great Tomato King, like, kinda is like this, like poser version of like sam Haim, like that that he, he kind of he yeah. kind of has I, like i knew you were gonna fucking turn this to a pumpkin thing i knew you were gonna fucking do that <laughs> he kind of he kind of looks like like an evil pumpkin-headed guy but he's a tomato so he's kind of a poser like it's like wait a minute you're not a cool evil pumpkin-headed guy you're just a tomato guy like you're not you're not that evil you're not that cool but yeah so but yeah that's that's kind of my takeaways from from this kind of blue cupcakey episode but what what about you tony what what were your initial thoughts have you have you seen jetman before this is this new to you like it is to me or yeah actually unlike battle fever j which i'm familiar with through your you know synopsis that you did on history comics on film i went into this like you know naked in the woods i've, I've never seen jetman I, i'm aware of the show just by you know seeing it on like you know various sites never watched a single episode never seen any like footage either so I was like, okay, let's see what we're going for. You know, Raita is, is kind of funny because he's kind of like the buff guy, kind of, or kind of maybe the chubby guy. I don't know. Yeah, he's kind of like that. I mean, for lack of a better term, he's he's the 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 hunk archetype in Voltron. Like, and I guess that goes yeah. as far back to to Go Ranger with what the what what do they call the Green Ranger on that? Justin, the the Meta Ranger, the something Ranger. Midori. Yeah, Midori, right? Like that. Like I mean, they all seem to be similar archetypes. They're they're not like exactly pushovers. They're big dudes, you know. But but it's like that kind of combo between a, a a guy who has a healthy appetite, who's a big guy, but he's not exactly a nerd or a pushover either. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of sensitive. Yeah, yeah. He he, he kind of. I mean, he he's he. he I think, I mean, I would say of the episodes I've seen, I think it was like episode nine or something was a, a, a Rata-centric episode. And I thought it was one of the best episodes I'd seen where he, and, and they were all like really good episodes. So this was sort of like a standout Jetman episode from all the really good episodes I've seen so far. And like he, he sort of is reuniting with like an old, 
girlfriend from his childhood and stuff. And, like, I guess she's trying to, like, dress up to impress him or something. And and he kind of misses the old her and everything. And I think the the underlining theme in the background is the the villains, the Virum. They're they're running around, and anytime they dress somebody up in certain clothes, it like sort of hypnotizes them to act like how they're dressed. So like if I dressed you know Tony as you know a, a policeman, you know he'd run around trying to write up traffic tickets or something. And if I dressed up Justin. You know, as a firefighter, he'd run around trying to put out fires. I guess the most drunkest civil servants ever. <laughs> in, in in the case of in the case of <laughs> in the case of, of of that episode, it's like the the monster was like a, a, a needle and what do they call it a sewing machine. And like and like the sewing machine becomes like the monster. So like the the the. The, the machine head is like the the head of the monster or whatever and stuff and it, it you know I guess they they dress people up like Japanese bikers so like the cops instead of like trying to hunt down the bikers they try to race the bikers and stuff and, and all this funny stuff happens and so I guess they they dress up his old girlfriend as kind of like this Golgo 13 like assassin chick in a cat suit but like it kind of harkens back to like uh, a race he won in childhood like through the mud or whatever and like she promised him like oh if you win this mud race like i'll be your bride you know and he's like i'll do my best you know and of course he wins the race and everything and and i guess in trying to get through to her it's like they try to echo the same mud race where like he's in his you know yellow owl costume and 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 kind of traipsing through the mud and everything and you know it, it basically she keeps shooting him but it's like no all the other teams like don't help him like he's got to do this on his own you know and stuff and it's this whole dramatic moment and everything and i i thought it was really good but you know i i again this is a right focused episode so i mean you know and i i don't know that it's necessarily the strongest episode that i've seen of Jetman of the episodes i've seen but it is it, it i mean the, the, just the notion of seeing people with tomatoes for heads is pretty- <laughs> pretty funny pretty hilarious you know whether it's the newscasters or like i said just people like i i think the best is when the people in the street come up and go are you okay and the like he's surrounded by <laughs> people with tomatoes for heads and stuff yeah I, I like the part at the beginning where those girls walk by and he whistles and they turn their heads and as soon as they turn <laughs> yeah. their, like tomato heads and he looks he's all like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it's like am i gonna hit that or not you know <laughs> I don't know. I know back in the 30s, we used to call really hot girls tomatoes, but I didn't think it was serious. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to mention, like, one of the things I, I really did enjoy about, like, this episode is it's something you kind of mentioned, Derek. As, like, I, I was going to pick on you because I knew you were going to do, like, a Sam Hain, Jack Philander thing because he does kind of like a pumpkin head. It was actually, like, a little creepy. A little. I mean, there was definitely a more comedic aspect to it but like like the tomato guys running around after this kid you know with the memories and stuff it's a little that's a little you know like creepy and stuff so i thought he was an interesting villain especially because it's it all about like and i'm gonna pull out some damn power rangers like lore on you motherfuckers right now it reminded me of the episode with trini with tickle sneezer <laughs> today on power rangers it's hobby week at angel grove high and trini shows the class her doll collection 
And this here is my favorite of them all, Mr. Tickle Sneezer. But Rita has plans for Mr. Tickle Sneezer. I like it. Collecting is my specialty. To earth, you'll go with your bottle and toad. When I say obey, you'll do as I say. Will Tickle Sneezer capture the Power Rangers in his goodie bottle? Find out next on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Where, yeah, she remembered, like, this, this character who was, like, you know, Kind of like a fond childhood memory, but Rita Repulsa and 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 Finster, you know, they they cobble up this you know evil version of Tickle Sneezer, who's like you know uh, a bad guy who wants to like torment Trini. It was like that childhood thing because I mean, honestly, when you're a kid, you're kind of scared of some stupid shit. I mean, it, it is true. I mean, you know, certain things will will will, will trigger you, as they say in the the uh, the modern world. You know, I'm triggered. So the fact that he got over being scared of tomatoes and he wanted to eat them. And he was like, you know, there's one of his favorite foods. And, you know, they bring back this childhood weird trauma. I don't know if that actually happened or if it was just a nightmare. It, it, it was interesting. You know, it was like, it was like, huh. You know, it's, it's very blue cupcakey because, because let's not, you know, pull any punches. The Great Tomato King does look kind of fucking weird. He looks very you know, comical. He's got like basically tights and a, in a, in a head. And his head is just, you know, a big, huge tomato with like a, a, a Jack O'Lantern style face. But I, I, it, there, there was points where I laughed. Uh, one of one of my things that, that really made me laugh is when they're fighting them as Jetmen, and he just throws a tomato at the guy and right his gun, and it just sticks on the end of it. He's like, "Oh," <laughs> and like you know that that kind of stuff is funny. But I mean, I know it wasn't supposed to be taken seriously, but they played it seriously enough, like that he was scared of tomatoes, and that's what I think made it blue cupcakey. Is like they took his fear of tomatoes so seriously. <laughs> Across this great nation, almost everyone has been affected in one way or another by this terrible tomato onslaught. Mrs. Williams, I understand your husband is missing. Yes, Do you he think is. he's dead? Well, I, I Will you miss him? Well, Will you marry well, again? Ah! He'll be laying in a ditch somewhere like, with both his legs broken, calling your name. You will have to find another man, you know. You're no spring chicken. Lives are, are shattered. The nation is in chaos. Death and destruction sweeps the country. Four Square Productions presents perhaps the funniest film ever made. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You've never seen a film like it. This is the incredible story of the world's ultimate disaster. Vicious man-eating tomatoes grow to monstrous proportions. Faced with this unprecedented menace, the president calls upon Mason Dixon, special agent. Aided by his trusty sidekick, Dixon begins to unravel the terrifying mystery of the deadly tomatoes. Dixon is getting close, too close for someone or something. Who could it be? The girl reporter? The ad executive? The press secretary? Or does it go higher? Join Mason Dixon in a race against time as he battles to save the world from the threat of nature's perfect eating machine, the killer tomato. Ain't no time to make a fuss. Gotta get those tomatoes before they get us. The Killer Tomatoes. You've never seen anything like it. I, I think like the, 
the sequence where he's trapped in the elevator and he's like drowning in tomatoes. And then when he looks up, the tomato king is like hanging on the ceiling, like, ha ha! Like it's supposed to be like this horror movie. But again, it, it's like, it's a horror movie in the same sense that like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is a horror movie. Like as in not very much, you know, like as in this is kind of like so ridiculous. It's, it's hard to take the threat quite seriously and stuff like that but i mean it's 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 a it's a fine episode and everything i mean that you know that i i was definitely entertained and i think for for me i feel like kind of waxing Jetman's car i mean like because when i when i watched the first two-parter i mean it, it opens up in space and there's this grandiose like death sequence and all this like cool stuff that happens and i i was just like sort of blown away by how good I thought it was. And then based on the strength of that, like I just, you know, I kept watching episodes. I think all the villains, like the Byram are really cool. Like I, I particularly like, I, I don't know why, but it's just as ridiculous, but I love it is one of the main Byram bad guys. He's a robot named gray. And like, he's got like these dead shot, like arm guns that he uses to blast the jet man and everything. But my favorite fucking part is he's a fucking robot. And he smokes these these cigarettes and stuff, and, and it's not just the regular cigarettes. He smokes like the the I don't know high end like uh, the, the the what do they call them like clove cigarettes, Clo- clover cigarettes, so yeah. they smell better and stuff. So he's got this clove in his mouth and stuff, and I'm like, dude, what is the fuck does a robot need with a cigarette? And I'm like, I don't know, but it looks fucking cool. Like, it's great, you know. Like, so it's like it's it, I don't know. It just all that stuff kind of cracks me up, and 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 I think. Uh, Justin and I were sort of talking about it earlier today, but that there's this kind of romantic triangle between Red Hawk, Black Condor, and White Swan. And basically, like, that's, you know, the the red, black, and then I, I guess you'd say, like, white or pink ranger-type characters and stuff like that. And it's, it's Ryu, Guy, Yuki and Kaori and like you know Kaori obviously has the hots for Ryu because he's the Red Ranger he's kind of the the stalwart you know drinks a glass of hot milk in bars you know like you know Cyclops type guy almost or or he's almost like kind of a combination between Cyclops and Colossus in a way because he he does have that big dumb jock thing going on but I mean he is the leader of the team he wears a letterman's jacket (laughs) yeah yeah he wears a letterman's jacket he he was a peace officer before all this stuff went down and then when the virum attacked he basically lost his partner who he was also in love with so there's this he's got this kind of tragic backstory going into it but then Kaori is kind of like this this high end like rich, you know, well to do Japanese lady. But she's also kind of got like a good heart and she wants to help out. But there's something kind of naive about her as well. And and she obviously like is head over heels for for Ryu. But then guy yuki rolls up on the scene and he's the black condor and i mean he's essentially the that guy of this team of course a team only functions as strongly as its weakest link what do you mean well don't you guys i mean doesn't every team have a uh well you know a, a that guy i know where you're going with this i don't that's because you're the only one of us who doesn't have a that guy a that guy is the grumpy one-liner spewing rebel. Totally. 
Yeah, they like to hang around in the shadows and spew one-liners and challenge every word that comes out of the leader's mouth. They spend a lot of their time making fun of the new recruits, but I think deep down what they really want is everybody's affection. Oh. Yeah, it sure doesn't help having somebody there to undo everything you've accomplished as a team. It can be a real pain in the shell. <laughs> you know, because I, I don't have an ass. I'm a turtle. Well, why not kick him off then? What? Are you kidding me? Kick him off. You can't do that. The kids love it. They eat it up. Oh, shit. Here comes mine now. You gonna get out of my way, soldier boy? Huh? Oh, oh sure. Excuse me. There ain't no excuse. When I want a cup of punch, I get a cup of punch. No questions asked. We know, Logan. Yeah, yeah. Nobody tells you what to do. Nobody. I go where I want to go. He's the... He's the Wolverine type guy, you know, he, he comes in, you know, Ryu asks him to join and then he punches him in the stomach for no reason and like drives away on his motorcycle and you're like, dude, what the fuck? All he asked you to do was like fight the bad guys and stuff. And of course he decides at some point like, dude, why are you so into that Ryu guy with his goofy letterman's jacket? Like you're going to totally be into me, Kaori, by the end of this show. And, and like he makes this vow and stuff and, and, and again, there's this. Very sort of, uh, it seems like it can get very heated, but this this and, and entertain turmoil, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this sort of you know romantic triangle that's going on, and I I I mean, like I said, I'm I'm glad Justin turned turned us on to this because I I'm really enjoying the hell out of it. I really like the Jetman costumes; they're really cool, very streamlined. They kind of remind me of, of course, Power Rangers. I mean, obviously, Sentai inspired that, and this was. I, Justin, you would have to uh, point this out. But Jetman does come after G-Ranger, right? No, it's before, isn't yeah. it? Really? It's, oh, okay. it's Jet, Jetman and then G-Ranger is next. Yeah, it, it's the timeline because we got we got Power Rangers in that, that hazy early 90s, so I couldn't remember if it was before or after. Which one came first, the, you know, the, the chicken or the dinosaur? Definitely the dinosaur. Definitely the dinosaur. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, and I, I hate to say this, I'm not, I don't know if I like Jet Garuda. That that robot looks weird. I'm not a big fan of that one. There are multiple robots or, or mechs on this show, so there may be one that's more to your liking in other episodes. Yeah, he just, he just looks... I mean, I understand that the whole theme is birds. I mean, the opening pretty much clearly states that. And then it's, it's kind of funny, during the fight, like the, the mid-fight where they're taking out the putty patrols, a lot of times when the Jetmen punch people, was it just me or am I going crazy? Was there like a chirping noise when they punch people? Like little tweets? I, I didn't notice if there was. Like you're better, better fan than I am. I, I'm, I defer to Justin, but I, I, I probably was oblivious to it if there was. It just seemed like one of they did like a final move, like to to end a putty patroller. Basically, it would be like a little like you know chirp, and I'm like, really? Well, that's interesting. But yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I'll give a pass to Garuda. There's been Power Rangers Zords I didn't like that much. It, just the head and the claws were just kind of weird. However, on the flip side of that, the the main villain, 
did a good job of selling having his head eaten <laughs> during a battle. Yeah, like that's that's one of the things that like stood up to me when I first watched this. Of course, like seeing people's heads turn into tomatoes was like, whoa, like what the heck is going on in this episode? And, you know, the idea of, like, using something from, like, a kid's, like, nightmare that they hated and is brought back, like, I thought that was a very interesting concept. Uh, but then, like, at the very end, they basically, they defeat the Great Pumpkin King, I mean, the, the Great Tomato King. Basically, like, Raita starts eating a tomato, and by eating the real tomato, like, the Great Tomato King's head starts to, like, slowly, like, cave in and then it becomes like kind of like it looks like an apple core where you've only got like a thing in the middle i was just like this is like really man like this is super bizarre like i've never seen i don't think i've ever seen anything in tokusatsu like defeated like that like you basically ate him to death is what happened <laughs> like i was like man this is super <laughs> weird nutty because i don't know the character you'd have to tell me does the base commander or the team mentor or whatever She's like, you know, uh, right as eat the tomato, and it's having an effect. And she's like cheering him on to eat the tomato. She's like, how does that work? But like, I, I'm glad that like Derek really enjoyed this because Jetman is like one of my favorites. Like, if you know, if I were to make like a you know a Tony Jackson like top ten style like list of like my favorite Sentai, like this would be so. If this would be like high on the list, like, I really like Jetman and like, I, I like that it's. It has kind of like a soap opera feel to it, like, you know, the, the love triangle that Derek was talking about earlier. Like, that, that's a big element in the show, and it's also like kind of a Japanese thing, too, because, like, really kind of like overdramatic soap opera type shows were really big in the, like, mid to late 80s in Japan. So it seems like that kind of, like, influenced this as far as, like, the love triangle goes. Like, I, you know, not to spoil anything for Derek, and I think I already mentioned this, but, like, you know, it, it gets pretty intense. Like, there are points in this series where, like, the characters, like, get into fist fights and, like, they actively do not like each other. And, like, I don't think I'd ever uh, seen anything like that in the Sentai before where they're just, like, you know, you know, throwing punches. Like, they're, like they're physically fighting over this girl. And then, like, you know, it... It kind of goes on the word they just like they have to kind of like begrudgingly like set that aside to like beat the bad guy. But like you know, Gemin is a really great series. And like when I sat down to rewatch this episode, like I like as soon as like this theme song started, I was like I was back into it. Like I forgot how much I love this series because this the theme song is so like upbeat and catchy. You know, you, you heard Derek sing it. Like it it just gets stuck in your head. And I was just like, yeah, Gemin. Like I remember how cool this is. Like this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is really cool. It is fun listening to the theme song and singing it back to yourself. It does, it does get stuck in your head and all that kind of stuff. The the other thing I wanted to mention, so we don't maybe neglect this character, but Aiko, like I think, and 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 to some extent Kiori, like uh, for some reason I was really reminded like that they have a similar archetype or trope to the Gokaijers, you know, like, like I kind of thought of Luca a lot in, when I see the girl who plays Eiko. Kind of the, the tough girl? Yeah, I mean, but it's like she's a schoolgirl, which is not what Luca's like, but you could tell she's, she's a little more raunchy, she's a little more kind of like off the cuff, like, hey, I'm gonna go jump that, that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm gonna go do that javelin thing, I'm gonna go do the, the, the pole toss. Fuck your tomatoes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, even the way the fan sub groups, like, like, 
kind of you know it, it it is it does have notions or elements of those you know ass wipe subtitles where every once in a while she's like you're just a rich bitch aren't you you know and you kind of know she probably didn't really say that but something to that effect you know and so you you could tell she's a little more you know she's sort of more off the cuff she's a little more flippant you know type character and and you know and and that's kind of cool because they they they're all very distinct individuals in this group dynamic and everything it's not like you look at both girls and you you can't tell them apart you know obviously like they they both have very distinct individual personalities and i think that's pretty cool too we were mentioning the ousted former i guess leader or commander of the what were they called oh the fire yeah he he's he's being kind of ousted by uh, on my sub it was he was called transer is that right transer i think but yeah Okay, and I'm just—I'm not making fun of him. I'm—I'm not being like you know judgmental. What the fuck is up with his hair? (laughs) Yeah, that's—it's—it's kind of wacky. Like the—the villains are very interesting in this series too, because they kind of like, you know, kind of like how there's a love triangle and those those characters like physically fight each other at one point. Like the villains in this series, like they actively will like go to war against each other because they're all kind of like. scheming against I noticed each the, other. the girl was really worried about that that the guy who got ousted yeah yeah it, it gets a little like complicated because like there's that when they first start out there's a kid in their midst and he becomes uh, one of the characters like he kind of like you know grows up or his power expands and he like kind of becomes their leader and they're like oh well you know like this is kind of like this kind of sucks like we don't want this you know like he was a little kid and giving us uh, you know orders and now he's like you know doing all this stuff like you know the the villains in this series are very like you know complex and very layered and you know sometimes you know robots smoke cigarettes and whatnot <laughs> yeah because i was about to say it seems like transa is like the way he was created in this episode i don't know how the whole series goes it seems like not only are the people who are under him you know missing their former leader but they they and i'm not I'm, I, I could be reading into this but i assume transa was probably the kid because he seems to like be mischievous. He, he's yeah. like, he's evil, but he's like, he, he almost takes this as like a joke. He's like, I'm going to fuck with his head, you know? Ha ha ha, look at me, I'm a douchebag, you know? <laughs> like, you know, fuck, fuck this right a guy. He's scared of tomatoes, I'll make a tomato demon, you know? It's like, he, he is like, like I said, Justin, I don't know if this is who he transforms into. I hope I didn't spoil anything. I could be wrong, so listeners don't take this as gospel at all, Justin, seeing all of this. But, like, he does seem to have, like, that almost childlike sense of picking on people. You know, like, not just defeating them, but, like, making them feel bad before he hurts them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. He, he, he seemed like a dick, I'm just saying. As far as, like, the other members you guys mentioned, I didn't pick up on, like, a lot of those nuances in this episode. You've seen more than I have, Derek. Justin, you've seen the whole thing. It, it did seem like a team. Like I said, I really like the costumes. The costumes are great. They, they seem kind of like general outfits because they have, like, these, like pauldrons and like you know they seem almost military but they're they're birds <laughs> well it, you know i i know you you mentioned that that they, they reminded you of certain things but i mean i would think that something like gotcha man would be a clear influence for jet man sure. i mean they're 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 all sort of bird themed warriors of justice you know i mean you know they're not exactly the same but if you took gotcha man and decided to make a sentai team out of them i think you'd get you know jet man yeah pretty much yeah one of the things derek said before we started this podcast was new versus old just to kind of call back the starfish monster in the battle fever episode 
as far as the the costume effect, he looked great. The Starfish looked really stupid. It was it was it was very rubbery and stuff. It is the time frame. I understand it was probably just literally probably just latex molded, you know, starfish. But with Jetman is like, you know, we were talking about Die Ranger, you know, not too long ago on the podcast. We were doing a couple episodes of that. But this actually looked newer than Die Ranger. I don't know if how that's possible, but this seemed like it came out in like the mid nineties, late nineties. It it just looks really crisp or something, or maybe it's just the version I got, but like the costumes and like the clothes, they look kind of more current than you know, Die Ranger and, and Ranger. Is is that just me being weird or it just looked maybe the film style? You know, it's interesting you bring that up because you know, I was talking earlier about like it's interesting to watch the earlier shows and see the progression of like different tropes. It's also interesting to look like the special effects. Like you can tell like, you know, when the monsters grow, you can see like, oh well, that's that's kinda like not a good effect. And then like in the like mid eighties they started doing a lot of like I guess like in Doctor Who they call it like, you know, chroma key or like color separation Basically it's just, you know, one image overlaid on another one. And it doesn't always look so great. Like sometimes it just looks really extremely fake and you can tell it's just like a very like almost transparent kind of image transposed onto something else one of the characters can like use a power and basically they're supposed to levitate but usually what they'll do is they'll just have like the background and then they'll do like the overlay and it'll look really wonky like you can tell it's just been like you know one piece of film superimposed poorly onto another one and like what's what's really funny is like when they do like a movie and you see like the blu-ray version of that movie like the movie will great and blu-ray but when they when they do that effect because it was like you know on on video or something like yeah. a, a poor yeah. a poor quality it really really stands out and it looks bad so like the the different effects were kind of uh, evolving and changing and they were like you know many different stuff like oh we can do like you know stop motion for this maybe or or some kind of like you know edit transition or something and then they start experimenting with like you know Stuff like color separation overlay and chroma key and that kind of thing. I think by like Jetman, you know, by like the late 80s, early 90s, they had pretty much like perfected the, the what they were working on. Like as, as far as like the difference in Jetman and G-Ranger, like I think I think more of that has to do with like the style. You know, like I said, Jetman was very much influenced by like those Japanese soap operas of the time. So I would say that like that's probably probably an influence as far as like you know what they're wearing and how the show looks like they probably wanted to emulate that they wanted to like have like everyone dressed you know like very nicely or maybe like more realistically whereas in g-rank it's like you know what they're all like kind of like ancient warriors in a way and they've got like wacky <laughs> clothing yeah. and then it's like you only really see like normal stuff when they're out in public and you know they're attacked by like you know the putties or, or whatnot yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just seemed like I think that's why I got confused where it came before or after. It's just like I could see this coming out in the late nineties. You know, one of the things a lot of people say like, "Does it hold up? Does it hold up?" For me, when I watched this, I you know not seen Jetman before. I might have even thought this came out in the early two thousands. It looked that crisp and polished, and you know very clean. Because I think that's the thing about Die Ranger is like I, I think it was the effect they were going for, but it didn't have a lot of washout to it. It had like a '90s feel, grim and gritty. But this, it looks you know I, I think you know like as film you know transforms over the like years and stuff, we went back to kind of a cleaner look in the in the early 2000s. 
So I think this really kind of came through as like a callback to a time that they didn't even know about. They were like, you know, well, you know, we're doing this kind of style, but it actually fits into a modern era. Because like, again, like I said, the, the costumes are very crisp and clean, and they look just detailed enough to not be just swatches of color with white on them. You know, they have like that little bit of detail and that like kind of you know extra effort put into them where. They, they, they seem kind of like the go-kiter stuff, you know, with like the vests and stuff. You know, they have, like I said, like those little extra accents. They don't just look like guys like spandex, you know, like the Zoo Rangers, you know, the, the iconic. They look great. But it's just it's just guys and girls and, you know, leotards with the helmet. And, you know, small things like that, you know. Even like the Jet Garuda, which I didn't think was a great Mac, was really on par with like, you know, stuff I saw in the late 90s that came out from Saban. When they, you know, co-opted footage from Japan, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that, this, this looks, you know, pretty, pretty damn good." So, like, uh, uh, credit to whoever was directing this, and like you said, Justin, you know, it might have been that influence. Oh, probably was. Like, said, you know more about it than I do, of that like kind of romance drama triangle thing, where they were shooting for a certain style, but you know, again, as I said, does it hold up? I think it holds up really well. I, I, I found myself enjoying how the show looked it looked really good yeah i think it's always interesting to like look at a show and like sometimes you can tell when it's filmed like you can watch a tv show from the 70s and you're just like you're like yep that's 70s whether it's the hair or yeah. the clothes they're wearing or the music you know it's like i was re-watching a series called dark skies which is kind of a x-files type show and it's set in the 60s and it was made late 90s like 96 97 and i was watching it I was it was like, on uh, nbc right Yes, and I, I was watching it like I hadn't seen it since it originally aired, and I was like, yeah, okay, I kind of remember this. Like, it kind of, you know, it, it looks good. And then like they started like doing some really wonky CGI stuff, and I was like, okay, like <laughs> this, this sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like very primitive CGI of like some kind of like you know, gloopy gloopy slime like encapsulating this woman and taking over her body or something. And I'm just like, oh, okay, like that. That totally does not hold up like it's definitely a product of its time i mean what do you what do you think about it eric i mean like just justin like said he, he he's a big fan of the show like did the production values kind of impress you considering how early this was i think in general the show impressed me as far as like the the production values like i i kind of think i already knew this was set before Chew Ranger and Die Ranger and stuff like that so i i was kind of thinking in terms of like more of the historical stuff as well, because I I think I I was noticing like all these these monsters like clearly appear to be everyday household items turned evil, and I'm like sitting there wondering like oh you know obviously I haven't seen enough Sentai series, but at some point that must have been a trope that was introduced. I don't know if it is heavily prominent first in Jetman or, or other other shows. I don't know about before, but Die Ranger did that. That's why that's why Lord Zed always had pocketbook monsters and stuff like that. Right, right. But what I'm saying is like but this before yeah. This this obviously takes place before Die Ranger. So I I'm just thinking to myself, oh well, you know, I'm I'm seeing the trend. You know, it, it it's it's remaining consistent, you know, to 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 my knowledge of it you know it's like oh okay like so in 1992 like 
that that was also still a thing, you know, and it, it did extend all the way through to to Die Ranger as well. But I mean, you know, the the monsters look cool. The Sentai stuff seems to be like I said, you're and you're not to disparage it, but I mean, it, it does it does seem after that first ten minutes of the first episode, which I thought was really awesome. Like I guess in terms of production value, I'll put it this way: the first ten minutes are set in outer space. Like, it kind of reminds me of the feeling I had when I see, like, the first minute of Trial of Time Lords, where you're, like, you see the entrance to the space station, <laughs> right, and you're right. like, whoa, is everything going to be this cool? And then you watch the rest of Trial of Time Lords, and you're kind of like, oh, it's not going to be that cool <laughs> yeah. for the rest of the show. And, 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 like, that's kind of how I felt about Jet Ranger, but not in a bad way. Like, basically, once, once you get past that first ten minutes where you're like, whoa, this is super cool, and then after that first ten minutes, it's, like, basically your everyday top-notch Super Sentai show where they've got the cool squibs, the cool explosions. You know, they're they're flying in from the sky, like you know, because they all have the wings and stuff like that. And I mean, I I definitely enjoy all that stuff, and I I think it's it's well done. And as far as you know, the the blue cupcake stuff we kind of already went into. You know, I, I think the Tomato King is creepy looking. He does remind me of more of a, a pumpkin-headed themed, you know, whether it's like Lord Pumpkin or Sam Hain, but like the tomato version of that. Look, I've seen about, what, 15 episodes of this? Like, I want to watch the whole thing. I'm very much interested in not losing track of it at this point, you know, and, and completing the entire series. Yeah, I, I'll give you credit, Justin. I think you might have gined us again because I think this looks really interesting. Just from this episode, which is supposed to be Blue Cupcake Eve, like, you know, we're kind of making fun of it because it's so surreal but also, there was definitely points where I was like, I don't like this team. These 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 guys and girls are cool, you know? And I, I don't know if I'll watch the whole, the whole series, but I'm kind of like, I could see myself watching it totally. So, like I said, you might have guided this again. You, 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 like I said, I always, you know, get credit for doing the Gaim series because, you know, that was like kind of like, that turned into my baby at a point. But if it hadn't been for Justin Kids, there would have been no like guy, you know, full throttle, like everything done. He he totally showed it to me first. And if it were for him, you know, I wouldn't have done it. So who knows? Maybe me, Derek, and Justin might do Jetman one day. I'm not saying we will, but hey, like, you know, definitely interesting enough. I think people who like Super Sentai should probably check it out. I, I wanna I wanna gray figure arts with like cigarette. <laughs> cigarette attachments and stuff. <laughs> Little little flamethrower piece that comes out to light up the clove. <laughs> Anything from you, Justin? Like uh, uh, to to lord your awesome uh, ability to pick up good shows, or, or anything final on Jetman? <laughs> I was just thinking of like the the thing from The Simpsons, where you know you've got like that. Uh, <laughs> Smithers turns on his computer and Lisa's there, and you've got that image of like Mr. Burns, and it's all computerized. He's like, I'm very good, Smithers. At or you're like. No, it's like, you're very good, Smithers, at turning me on. Like, that's how I feel, like, when I pick shows and you're like, oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm like, I'm very good, Derek, at turning you on to shows. Pretend <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say that. <laughs> awesome. It's like it's like that strange uncomfortableness when you when you see uh, Starfish Monster put Yakayuki sauce on, on <laughs> Kenji Oka's chest. Blue Cupcakes aside, man, like. You know, two solid series that just haven't had crazy episodes. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, I think I think that's the best way to look at it. It's, you know, a lot of things can can go blue cupcakes on you. It doesn't mean like all all fifty two episodes of it are going to be, you know, blue cupcakes and stuff like that. But this was just, you know, th- this month was always intended to be something that highlighted like those things, the the strange and unusual portions of the fandom that we're covering and and i think both of these are pretty good examples of that but but they're also they happen to be contained within some some really good series in general so i I think that kind of wraps things up for tonight's episode so if you if you guys have any comments questions and or concerns you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We are on iTunes. If you leave us a review there, it would help get the show more discovered by other listeners and stuff like that. So we would appreciate that. If you want to reach us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, we are on all those social medias. So we want to say that we appreciate all the likes and feedback we receive there. And we, of course, have all our spinoff shows in addition to Fanhole's Sentai Saturdays. We've got Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Comic Books Motherfucker, Do You Read Them, and the Fanhole's Podcast proper. So if you like listening to Fanhole's Sentai Saturdays, we hope you consider checking out some of the other shows as well. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, this is Justin, and give me a cup of hot milk. <laughs> this is uh, Tony, and I just really look forward to the day when all my fan holes friends cheer me on for just eating tomatoes.
Yeah, I, I walked into both of those episodes thinking it was just going to be Sentai stuff, and just like at worst, maybe the the pizza episode me and Justin did about Car Ranger. I forgot the damn name of the episode. But yeah, those are the, like the. I, I I will have to give Battle Fever Jade the nod as being a little bit more blue cupcakey, just a little bit. They both were very blue cupcakey, but that just that starfish monster. Just the whole nom, 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 mouth. It, 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 he was creepy. He was he was a creepy motherfucker. Well, apparently we've got enough for sequels because, like, Justin intended us to watch a different episode after the fact. So, oh, like Luke Cupcake or yeah, yeah. Because there was, I guess, apparently there was a spaghetti episode. But... Yeah, there there was a scene where there's like a family sitting down to eat their dinner, and it's like you know a big plate of spaghetti. And like the spaghetti, mom spaghetti. The, the spaghetti like uh, <laughs> becomes alive and starts attacking the family. And I was like watching that. And I was like, "What is going on?" And I thought it was in this episode because of like the tomato thing. But I guess it's like another episode. So like I, hmm. I, I mean, it worked in the end because this is still a weird episode. But like I'm now yeah, like yeah. I'm like, where was that? Like I've seen so much Sentai. I was like, I was sure that was this episode. But now I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Mom spaghetti. We're all sitting at dinner, getting ready and ready. Going to watch Sentai. Oh, Mom spaghetti. And I actually prepped my own synopses for these, so they won't be as like what? Or there won't be wrong stuff like you know saying like you lied like he didn't lie like where'd you get that did you even watch <laughs> he was it a dirty lie faced liar it's like what you're being a little too hard on him I think, I think you have a vested interest in this are you Yuma's girlfriend like that wrote this like what okay we're just gonna do Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that works. That works. Fucking uh, fucking well, guy. Guy is the Wolverine of Jetman. So. So what episode of Battle Fever is that for us? <laughs> you know, we just watched it. Like that's him. Like you know, fucking that's a uh, Battle Kenya. Like all getting eaten out by a starfish on his innards. Oh. the starfish. Yeah, there you go. I can kind of see that actually. Can you hardly say inside me? Oh, hello, starfish. You're inside me now. I uh, I watched the uh, riff tracks. Uh, the like the best of of the room. Like that was cracking me up, man. Like it's such an awful movie, but then to like to see those guys like rip it up with such glee. <laughs> They were making fun of him where, you know, he's like, oh, hi, whatever. They were like, what is this guy? Like, just completely like, uh, you know, like retarded. He's like, oh, hi, banana. How are you today? (laughs) (laughs) I did not hear. I did not. Oh, hi, Ted. And then at the end where he's dead, there's like, oh, hi, I have a dead because you have killed me. <laughs> I think that movie was just basically made. So I always forget his name, but uh, fucking uh, uh, Tommy Wiseau, yeah. 
I think that the film was just so Tommy was so a melty face wax candle man could like have sex scenes with a, a reasonably attractive woman. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's definitely a Tommy was so vehicle I can for see sure. It. <laughs> okay, you want to understand? As the director, we have to have the sex. It's a part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be uh, how you say a real if we go real. <laughs> hello, hello, <laughs> hello, boobies. <laughs> hello, nipple. Hello. <laughs> We will have sex. Oh, hi, vagina. <laughs> it's like, hello, hello, hello. <clears throat> the, the funny thing is, is like, like I, I'm sure you guys have seen him in like, you know, like, uh, fucking, you know, other projects, I guess you would say he's done outside of the room. He, he, he acts just like his character. <laughs> You see, it's completely fucking nutballs. I really believe that there's a part of him that, uh, like, you know, hates the fact. Because I, I know there's a part of him that really thinks that that's a good movie. That he really, you know, did something great. But I know there's a part of him that, like, you know, has to get up because he's really popular for making a crappy movie. <laughs> I... He's so like weird and awkward and kind of dumb. I'm like, where did he come from? Is he like an escapee from like Bizarro World or something? Like, I don't like, I don't know. His face looks like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, make great movie. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, he's like, well, this is a great movie in my world. <laughs> Me, movie, am fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> on this world people love it because it's bad my world people hate it because it's good <laughs> oh Tommy 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 alright oh, yeah oh, enough 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 wiseo <clears throat> oh, hello so, podcast <laughs> hello podcast hello the Skype will not work. It hates us. I don't understand why he can't get it. Oh, hi, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Skype, you're tearing me apart. <laughs> and then we'll go through the football on top of the roof. Hey, guys, this is Tony and Starfish on the butt. Did you hear that, Justin? Not really. It's kind of kind of distorted. Oh. I don't know. Mm. No. You know. How come all the Tommy Wiseau shit was crystal clear, but when we <laughs> fucking start a podcast, now all of a sudden it's fucking... How about now? Uh... Come on, stupid thing. Let's see. How about now? Uh, 
I mean, I can hear you, but it doesn't sound normal like it did before. What the, what the hell? You're tearing me apart. <laughs> See? Then yeah. the Tommy Wiseau stuff sounds fine. <laughs> this uh... is bullshit. <laughs> There must be only one answer. I will have to do the entire podcast as Tommy was. <laughs> so, uh, I like the Sentai. It's fun. He's like, hello, hello, Super Sentai robot. Hello. I was like, how are they possibly going to win? Oh, hi, Garuda. <laughs> He's like, Starfish, you are tearing me apart. All right. Say, say, introduce yourself again, Tony. All right. I like I like I like the bad guy theme like or like I, you know the one where like when when Header almost dies and then it's like they they you know but they use that same theme like over and over again but it was like the bad guy theme yeah. and it's like dun 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 it's a pretty normal, like, kind of Japanese pop, you know, song, like, yo, go find that. And then, like, just near the end, for some reason, there's just that, that boom. <laughs> boom. Like, bouncing noise. I can't, can't really describe, but you know what I'm talking about, uh, Eric, right? Yeah. What, what I always liked about some of those, like, 80s ones is, like, you know, I like the music, too, but it's, like, sometimes whenever they introduce, like, a new like weapon or uh mech or something like there would be a song for that mech or or uh, vehicle that they're using i was like well that's kind of interesting like i know i know like cds and records are like something they push heavily in japan but it's like i'm like how like how would you like to be the guy that's like okay larry like you have to sit down and write a song about like you know sun vulcan shark which <laughs> launches a sun vulcan robo and you're just like how how do how do i how do you make a song into that and then, and then like make it like a catchy song for kids like that has to be like an interesting process well i mean it must be like i mean no, no like these unsung heroes or heralds of, of greatness for kids right yeah. i mean nobody nobody talks about the guy who composed the music for gem you know and the yeah. holograms but yet it's like a, this vital essential part like they they had to make like 16 awesome pop songs or whatever you know yeah, like, without, without, without the music it wouldn't be a show yeah yeah, you know, it's like it's like who who somebody has to. It's not like those songs just fucking farted themselves out. You know, like somebody somebody had right. to come up with them, right? Like you know, so it's like you know, or or you know, I, what, you know, whatever it is. But, yeah. I still remember the uh, I still remember the uh, Power Rangers audio cassette, and to this day, I'm not afraid to admit this. There is that little kitty rush, where like it's it it does like the whole first like like two seasons I think of like Power Rangers as far as the music and they're like they're like it has these little like uh um like uh uh intermissions Clip. where they yeah, would do, yeah would do like acting yeah and like Zordon's like Toby has become the White Ranger he now has the White Tiger Zord and he's like White Ranger Tiger Power and I'm like yeah, yeah. fuck yeah <laughs> yeah, I, I remember like downloading that off the internet in like you know like two thousand or one or something, and I've always like like I listened to that to death. So that's like that whole album is like burned into my brain. Yeah, I 
right, right, uh, Todd. You know, uh, beware of the dragon sword. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, the dragon sword had a cool theme, and yeah, it was just like a lot of people like to bash Power Rangers because it, it was butt rock. I mean, it was, but but damn it, it was good butt rock. Damn it. <laughs> Because I, I, well, on that on that tape, they had the extended version, you know, the, the yeah. fight, you know, yeah, the, like, you know, they did, like, this whole, like, fucking first part of the song, you know, it was like, we are strong, we are invincible, and then, like, halfway through the song, they're like, go, go, Power Rangers, and just, I mean, even if you're a kid or if you're an adult, there's that little, like, little, little tingle in, like, your, your, your nostalgia, it's like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 all this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, and we're still recording, so that's probably going to be it. It's me and Justin like doing air guitar with our mouths. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it in. <laughs> um, Zim, I need to go pee or anything. I'm I'm good. Dogosaurus does needs to howl at the moon or whatever. I'm going to go get him probably, <laughs> and then I'll be back. Rangers, the Dogosaurus is attacking. Rangers, the Dogosaurus is going crazy outside. It's just my dog. My dog would probably be a good sixth ranger. (laughs) Dog has become super dog. Super dog barking power. And then, and then, like, there's angry something. Who knows what. There's big, like a big, like you know, nicely shot like cut sequence where it's like Derek and Dogosaurus like emerge to like form like a super thing. <laughs> Here's Dogger Derek. <laughs> <laughs>